0: I've been The Message Today, Penetrating Into Death. 좀 타이틀이 좀 멋있게 들리죠. <웃음> 네. 아마 여러분 좀 오늘은 아, 많은 것을 생각 못 할지라도 좀 깊이 좀 생각을 하셨으면 좋겠어요. 그런 마음을 열어놓으셔서 깊이 성령님께서 역사할 수 있도록. 네. 성령님에 대한 민감함을 갖고 이 말씀에 참여했으면 we're going to read from chapter 4, verses 7 to 9, 10. It's a portion of what we read last week, but because of the lack of time, I want to just read it in English first time around. Let's read this out loud together. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. We're talking about Jesus' strategy of evangelism. 예수님의 전도에 대한 전략을 우리가 함께 좀 생각하고 좀 공부를 하겠는데요. Last week, I mentioned the fact that one of the major strategies in evangelism is somehow, somehow breaking down the walls that are placed between me and those future recipients of the gospel. 우리가 어떠한 장벽을 무너뜨리지 저는 우리가 전도의 대상인 자들에게 다가갈 수가 없다는 것을 제가 지난주에 말씀드렸습니다. And one of the barriers, first of all, is that of ethnic barriers, sometimes cultural barrier. It could be gender barrier. But we see that this was a Samaritan woman uh, who was encountering a Jewish man, that is Jesus. And the Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other uh, because the Samaritans, according to the Jews, were basically mixed in blood, 음, 혼혈된 상태, and in religious sense, they were syncretistic, 혼합된 상태, 종교적으로 말하자면. 그렇기 때문에 유대인들은 이들을 더럽다고 생각했습니다. 그리고 자신들은 그 거룩한 것을 지켰다고 어, 생각을 해왔습니다. So we have ethnic barrier that uh, Jesus wanted to uh, break down in order to penetrate into the heart of this woman. Second was that of gender barrier. It was a Jewish man encountering a Samaritan woman. And woman, today, we are living in an enlightened era. Women can declare equality with men, but in those days, 2,000 years ago, in the... Uh, ancient middle east it was nothing like that at all women were not to appear with men and if they do they have to basically follow their husband behind some distance they cannot even talk to their husbands and if you're a strange woman a stranger then you definitely do not talk to them the pharisees had all these complicated laws and regulations about how you try to avoid women so the self-righteous pharisees would try to, when they see a beautiful woman coming their way, they would try to avoid them, they would close their eyes and <laughs> they would bump into a wall and there was a tie for that, the, what is it, the bruised and wounded Pharisee. So there was this gender barrier Jesus was obviously breaking by conversing with this woman without any judgment but with a lot of grace. And then, we find in this particular woman's case a moral barrier. She was a sinner. We are all sinners, but she was a stereotypical sinner in those days. We all are sinners, but we keep our sins hidden. It's not publicized. And so we do not receive the public humiliation like the way probably this woman received the treatment. Because it's obvious she had six men in her life. Uh, that's not a good sign, no matter how you justify it. I, I had bad luck. I kept on marrying, and God keeps on taking the husband away one year after the other. But we get the picture. You know. She is a woman with questionable moral character. And so uh, that's one of the barriers that uh, we think that should remain. And uh, we think that's a justifiable barrier, but in Jesus' sight, even that barrier cannot be had. As, as, fine, as, as important as our holiness and being righteous before God is, we must remember, when we approach the sinners, we should not place a condition upon them to rid of their sins before coming to the Lord. When they come to the Lord, they open up their hearts, they will let go of their habits. They will let go of their moral and loose lifestyles, but to demand all that perfect your life before you come to the Lord. Of course, there's this uh, condition of repentance. <inaudible> you have to understand what that repentance is referring to. It means turning away from the ways of the world and looking unto Christ and opening your arms, your lives to Jesus. Your life may not be perfected yet, but you're in the progress. You're saying, I will commit myself to that. So that's the important thing. So Jesus dealt with all these barriers. No judgment in encountering her. He didn't look down upon her suspiciously with sense of disdainment. Not at all. This is not what we sense in Jesus' conversation with a woman. Even the thing that he pointed out about her husband, we'll see about that in a little while. Second uh, principle of evangelism that we see is that Jesus has a way of communicating with this woman, not only her, but we we'll see all throughout this gospel, Jesus' encounter with those individuals are with the intent of making some kind of connection. Some kind of connection. And so we do not see any prejudice or judgment on the part of Jesus. 예수님이 이 사마리아 여인을 대할 때 어떤 평균과 판단 없이 자유롭게 되었습니다. 그러니까 그 여자가 오픈업 하는 거예요. 누가 자기를 이렇게 판단하고 누가 자기를 차별하면 자기의 마음 문을 열겠습니까? Of course not. And therefore she opened up to Jesus. And Jesus engaged in what we call Interactional conversation. Two-way conversation. Not one-way preaching. Not one-way prophesying. But he wanted to interact with her. 이 상호적인 대화 가운데서 communication 이루어지고, 마음이 connect가 되는 거 우리가 볼 수가 있습니다. And then finally, he offers something that is relevant to this woman, something necessary, not something out of the blue, but something that she has been yearning for. He knew how to be relevant. 이 적절하고 필수적인 것을 베풀기 위해서 예수님께서 이 여인에게 받아왔습니다. But the third principle that I want to talk about today, And it is a principle of somehow penetrating into the depth of the issue or the depth of the heart or depth of spirituality of this woman. And this is what we see, that Jesus here in the business of penetrating like a surgeon, cutting through to get at the problem and issues. Now, when we talk about depth, how many of you like the term depth? You like, you like deep things in life, or yeah. are you content with uh, just the superficial surface level stuff? I don't think people do that. I think they come to church to look for, they're looking for some kind of depth. Okay? You know I mean, you could do other exterior things outside. But here we want to also talk about interior things. We want to talk about the deepest subject ever. God. We want to talk about deep spirituality. That has to do with kingdom of God and heavenly perspective. Yes, I think we cannot help as Christians but to talk about depth. I usually outline depth in maybe about three or four ways. First is that of philosophical depth. Philosophical depth. 철학적 깊이가 있다는 철학적 깊이 we all ask questions regarding our identity our destiny who am i why am i here what is life all about and if you're not a deep thinker you don't think about it until you enter into some kind of crisis midlife crisis then you think about oh, why did i do all this who am i what is my life all about you know sometimes we're so busy with life we don't think about these things We're so trying to please others at this surface level and to meet certain conditions for life just to survive and make a living and just to go through motion. And we forget to look into the depth. But we must all as human beings, we must be philosophical. That is, look for wisdom in the depth. And so I always say that, you know, nobody can cut out of this. You must... You and I, we must all be philosophers in life. Second, there is ethical depth. moral ethical depth. 윤리적, 도덕적인 깊이가 있는 거예요. We're asking the question, How should I live my life rightly? 그냥, and this is the question that we all ask. I'm sure this woman, felt like a failure in regard to the moral, depth, way of life. So nobody had to tell her that you need to go deep and look into your soul and discover what a rotten person you are and how short you are from the righteousness demanded of God. She probably knew. She may not be admitting it, but she probably knew it more than anybody else. But the type of death that I want to talk about are these latter two. Psychological deaths, 심리적 Because I don't think she really knew why she was operating the way she was operating. Why she had so many men in her life. And why she continues to thirst for male companionship. I don't think she understood her makeup. And I don't think she even had the leniency to think about it because Always she is being observed by those condemning eyes. Other women in the neighborhood. Men looking at her as just a lump of flesh that they can exploit. But Jesus penetrates into the depth of her psyche, her mind. This is the content of today's message. And then fourthly, there is what we call spiritual depth. This is what we're really longing for. Where do we find this ultimate sense of joy and peace and true sense of satisfaction? Where do we find that? Of course, we say, God, what does that mean? Some people use the term ultimate reality. I I just want to live in true reality, the ultimate reality. I want to be in touch with the ground of my existence, my being, they would say. We're talking about spiritual death. Because these are all deep stuffs in life. Are you getting already a little bit in touch with the concept of depth? Amen? And this is what Jesus is in the business of doing. He does penetrate, penetrate, penetrate. Because we don't just have the cultural barrier. We don't just have, uh, you know, gender barriers. It's not just a sin issue as a barrier. We have other barriers that we place and impose upon ourselves. Jesus has a way of penetrating to get at the core. Because he wants to touch us right in the depth of our very soul. So let's begin with the psychological depth. And when I use the term psychological depth, I suppose the key word would be truth encounter. In that depth, I think Jesus wants to challenge us with his truth. He wants to meet us as the truth, but meet us with truth about ourselves. So let's read this conversation. So I just basically outlined it in a way that is like a little script uh, of dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus says, go, call your husband and come back. Samaritan woman says, I have no husband. Right there and then, what's she doing? She's covering up. And she's gotten so used to lying, basically, or half lying, that this became a normal thing. This is the, the rote answer to anybody who says, you know, do you have a husband? Are you married? No, I have no husband. But Jesus read right through Of course, Jesus had the amazing ability to know and discern the source of individuals and the conditions of life and so forth. And he says, you are right. No condemnation here, right? He's like, "Me, you're wrong. I'm a prophet of God. I know that you're lying through your teeth. No, he says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. (laughs) How, how did you know that? And the man you now have is not your husband. So yeah, the one you're married to right now is not your husband. Technically speaking, but you've had five already. And now you're leading an immoral life, an adulterous wife. Maybe your divorce wasn't even legalized yet. And yet, but he doesn't go into detail. She knows enough code. She just needs to get discovered. She needs somebody penetrating into depth and getting under her facade and all the smoke screen that she's been, you know, placing between her and the rest of the people. What you have just said is quite true. You know what I see is I see a a man of compassion, not condemnation. But he has to penetrate. He has to get the surgical knife and cut through. Because if he doesn't get through, he can't offer her eternal life. So he opens her up and then right away, of course this is, a, this is probably just a short excerpt of all the conversation that happened. It was probably more interaction with Jesus. But in short, very soon she realizes it's going to be no use for me to try to constantly defend myself and cover up I'm just going to have to expose myself. And later she says, this man told, told me everything that I did. Which wasn't true. There was no way that she could have given him total biography. But she probably spent a long time talking to him. Enough to a point that she came to this conclusion. He really knows me inside out. So therefore she says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. That you are a prophet. So this Samaritan woman had a secret, secret life, a dark past, something that is looked down upon and judged upon by the public. So she probably got accustomed to covering herself up because she would get hurt if she exposed herself, trusted herself to others. She would have been taken advantage of or she would have been condemned before their side. So she would cover up. But Jesus would start uncovering her past and penetrating into her mind and heart. And basically, why do you suppose Jesus, right out of the blue, after he talked about the living water and this offering of eternal life in the the sense of the Holy Spirit that he wants to give to her, suddenly jumped into this, this content? There's a connection here. In all the writings of John, we see some kind of connection. There's nothing that is to be uh, eliminated or like extra source that is not necessary for understanding of the text. It is actually necessary to understand this. She has been hungry. She has been thirsting for some kind of companionship, some kind of acknowledgement, some kind of affirmation. And she found that from men. Usually psychologists would say that women who have uh, many, many men, many boyfriends in life or many, many uh, sort of relationships with men, I know I, I may sound stereotypical about this, but this is pretty much documented. They oftentimes have a problem, issue with the father figures from the very beginning. They need that man in their life, especially daughters, Need that man who can affirm her, tell her how beautiful she is, instead of, uh, you know, constantly joking in a, a lewd way about sexuality and stuff, something holy. They want to be holy person. Fathers must do that, but most fathers are not very mature enough to do that. They would project how they would see other women onto their mom, onto the daughters. And so they have a way of playing up to that. And before long, you try one guy and hoping that that person will satisfy me, what my dad couldn't do. I hope that this person can. On the other hand, maybe dad did satisfy the woman, but she has even deeper sense of hunger and thirst for male companionship because they're the, trying to find that father figure. Somebody like my dad, where is that man? Whatever their psychology may be, Jesus getting to the bottom of that thing. You're doing that because you're like a a vessel that just cannot contain, just cannot be satisfied with people around you. So her unquenchable thirst for men becomes an analogy for spiritual thirst that Jesus is trying to get at. Are you familiar with... um, Blaise Pascal, the famous mathematician and philosopher in the 17th century. And a lot of people think that this term here, or this phrase, God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, was something that he actually spoke. I used to go around saying, you know, Pascal said this. And I found out in the internet, everybody's saying that. But it's wrong. You're not going to find that in his writing, I found out. So I apologize to... Whoever they are, to whom I said, Pascal said. This is simply a, a summarize, a paraphrasing of what Pascal said. And it became a popular type of a statement that God has created each human being with god shaped vacuum in our hearts. 하나님이 우리를 그렇게 만드셨다는, 그 공, 공백을 허락해 주셨다는 것이야. 왜냐? 그 공백을 자기가 채우기 위해서. But this is what Pascal actually said in his pense, which means a thought or reflection. Uh, what earth does this craving and this hopelessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help since this infinite abyss, it can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Now, most scholars believe that Pascal penned this uh, thought in his uh, reflection based upon what St. Augustine had confessed in his confessions long ago he lifted up prayer to the lord and he said you have made us for yourself o lord o 주님 당신은 우리를 당신을 위해서 만드셨습니다 and our hearts are restless unless they rest in you 그렇기 때문에 우리의 심령은 불안합니다 그래서 우리가 주님 안에서의 참 쉼을 얻을 때까지는 불안합니다. Can you identify with these words of Augustine and Pascal? There's something inside of all of us in terms of need that needs to be met. There is that kind of vacuum, that emptiness, that no human being can fill and satisfy. That's one thing my wife, I heard her sharing this in her testimony, that not even... A good husband, decent husband, can fill. And she was expecting that from me. Oh, Daniel has to be true Christ for me. He's the head over this family. He needs to satisfy me. Well, she, and she would get on my back about not being so Christ-like sometimes. And, and then she went directly to the Lord with her dissatisfaction. Lord clearly showed her, Daniel can't fill you. He may be a perfect husband, but you're going to have that loneliness. <laughs> I definitely am not, but even if you were, I didn't make you so that your husband would fill and satisfy you. Then you don't need God. Do you know women like that, whose husband is so good to them? They don't need Jesus. Why they have Jesus living right next to them? Why would they want to go to their God? So blessed are you if you have a little tension in your marriage. and therefore you're saying oh this man can't satisfy this woman can't satisfy oh God only you can satisfy blessed are you if you come to that conclusion sometimes maybe God is using me as an instrument to my wife sort of like a devil's advocate so that she can be driven to the Savior so then I praise the Lord I'm going to be used like that because of my flaws and mistakes hallelujah amen but now, let's enter into um, an al- analysis of what is known as spiritual death. And here, it has to do with soul-need uh, encounter. And she really needed to fill her soul with, with God, in the presence of God. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying to her. Let's read this conversation. Jesus says, Will you give me a drink? And she says, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Then Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You see how progressive it is? He starts with just the physical water, which was the context that she could really identify. And then he's, he's talking about using that as a sort of conversation piece to talk about this gift of God this special type of water, living water, not some stagnant water, but living water is a flowing water, you see. There's dynamism to this. And then she responds by saying, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Now she's wondering, why are you talking about this? Where's your source? Okay. And then Jesus says, this famous statement, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is a spiritual message. Spiritual essence he's talking about. I don't know whether she got it, but... She was so convinced that he had access to this. And she says, by the way, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And along with that statement, she's probably saying, Oh, Lord, give me this water so that I don't have to go after men one after the other. I can cut, cut off that kind of lifestyle, that kind of uh, a vicious cycle way of life. Deliver me from this. If I can be satiated, if I can be satisfied with this living water that you're talking about, I'll be able to do that. So what is this living water Jesus is talking about? You cannot have a clear understanding right away from this text. But to equate the living water with Jesus Christ is not quite right because he's not saying, I am the living water. All throughout John, he's been saying, I am, uh, I am the vine, and, and I am the resurrection. and you know, I am the bread from heaven. And he's been saying, I am, I am, I am, but he's not saying I am. He says, I will give you. And he will be the real source of eternal life for you. That you don't have to come back, ever, with that kind of need to have more men to have more money, to have more fame, to have more knowledge, to have more security. No. You see the thing about us going for more each time in any of these areas in life? We will never be satisfied. If you had a million dollars, you think you'll be satisfied? No way. I hear that millionaires are going for billionaires, billion dollars now. And if you're a billionaire, you may be aiming for trillion dollars. There's no end to that. Knowledge, there's no end to knowledge. I mean, I have to say stop. I was in the process of writing my thesis this week. I wrote a 30-page thesis. I want to write more, but I had to stop. And just by deadline, I had to just click and send the thesis to the website. I have to put a stop to it. If I continue to looking around for other theses and other scholars who are writing about similar topics, I could never be satisfied. Some point you have to say that's it. I've done the job. That's sufficient. Jesus is saying this way of thinking, this constant need or longing for something else to fill my heart instead of God is dysfunctional. I can say that strongly to you, and to myself. If I operate that way about anything, then it is a sign of dysfunction. That's not a sign of health. I'm digging my own grave instead of digging deeper into the well of eternal life. So what is Jesus talking about? We see a similar statement in chapter 7, and so I'm not going to expound too much upon this theme of the Holy Spirit until I get to chapter 7, but I think it is sufficient just to know that this is about the Holy Spirit. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John, don't you appreciate John, his comments? He clarifies things that we sometimes don't see in the other gospel. And he comments, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The gift is not other than the Holy Spirit that he wants to pour into our lives. And this text, actually, what Jesus is saying is referring to Isaiah, chapter 44, in verse 3. The Lord says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And in the very last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, this is what is promised to us. The spirit of prophecy. The spirit and the bride says, come and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of water of life. It's an invitation, come come and receive that water. But now Jesus is saying, he's inviting all of us into our inner depth where the Spirit of God is given to us like spring water, like a, a well water that is bubbling from within, flowing forth out of our lives because the source is the Holy Spirit and that source is going to dwell in us and remain in us. You know how powerful this concept of indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is? In the olden days, they had to go to the temple. Before then, they had to you know, be in the wilderness, center on the tabernacle. They had to be situated near the Ark of the Covenant. Or they had to go to some kind of altar. Or some kind of priesthood has to mediate for you. But ever since Jesus rose and ascended and sent the Holy Spirit to his people, now the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us because we have become the tabernacle. We have become the temple. Our souls, our spirits, our inner cavity that Pascal is talking about, that infinite abyss, that is reserved for the Holy Spirit of God. And if you have the Holy Spirit as your permanent companion, then, yeah, when people leave you, people say bad things to you, you get cheated out of life, you have that someone. They're always with you to guide you and lead you and be a companion with you. Amen? Amen. I'm reminded of Psalm 42. Anytime I read this text, It's the song that we love to sing. And it goes like this. Shall we just recite that or maybe sing it, but let's just recite it. We'll sing it a little later. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. And in verse 7, just the first part of it, I love this. As deep calls to deep. You know, Holy Spirit of God is deep and profound. That would be an understatement for me to say that, even to try to articulate how God is. But He's deep. So in order to really make connection with the depth of God, then we must go into the depth of self. From my true deep self, I am in touch with the deep things of God. And this is what the psalmist understood. Something inside of him was crying, yearning, longing. And he's saying, Oh God, where are you? As deep water calls unto the deeper water, I call out unto you. He didn't have the revelation of Jesus Christ yet. He didn't have the revelation of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit yet. But Jesus came under sin. and says, Now, I give you the deepest thing, the true treasure in life, and that is my own spirit. Never, ever will you be lonely. Never, Ever will you need to be needy, even if you don't have the external resources that so many people are going after. Perhaps you're sick. Perhaps you're poor. Perhaps uh, you are facing a crisis. Doesn't matter because God is there inside of you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to help you. He hasn't abandoned you. That's not a sign of abandonment. That could be a sign of opportunity for him to come alive and act on your behalf and deliver you from the situation. But you've got to trust him. But if you go around like 80, you say, Where's God? Where? Oh, why have you abandoned me? You could do that for a moment. I, I had those moments before too. But then I had to remember, oh, he's here. So I quiet myself down, go into the depth, and with the eyes of faith, I can see that he's there. And I relate to. Then I find my uh, sanity back, I find my composure back, and I find my center back. And out of that, I begin to emerge and relate to everything that's happening around me. Amen. Amen, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we uh, talked about some deep matters. Um, matters of the depth in our psychology, how we operate, how we tend to put barriers in our own minds that prevents you, Lord, from entering in and penetrating and taking over. But we also learned about the real depth in terms of spirituality, that our spirits long for your Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us to know that your Holy Spirit has been granted unto us, and that the Holy Spirit is like a river of living water, underground river tablet that flows out of which our whole being can now benefit. And so we are your well, O Lord, and you're the living water that dwells inside, flowing, giving us life, giving us hope, giving us joy. Teach us to be conscious of that. Wherever we are, whatever we do, and whatever dysfunctions we may have, like the Samaritan woman who just had this insatiable thirst for companionship and men and affirmation from outside. Father, whatever our issues may be, we surrender all that into your hands. And we say, oh Lord, you are the true satisfaction for our souls, And we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.